Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Full Football Panelist Podcast. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at FootballFold. That's Football, F-A-U-X. Make sure you guys like, comment, and subscribe. Press that subscribe button on the podcast page on SoundCloud and Apple iTunes Podcast app. I'm one of your co-hosts, Justin, quote-unquote, Skywalker Palizzi. You can follow me on Twitter at Palizzi21 underscore. That's P-O-L-I-Z-Z-I 21 underscore. The man, my co-host on the other side of the screen, Matt. How's it going, buddy? It's going awesome. I am super stoked to be able to talk with you this week about all the news and training camp stuff that's been happening and especially after that exciting wide receiver episode we did last week. Plus, I'm just yeah, absolutely. This is such a fun time of the week for me to just chill and talk football. Yeah, we talked about some um some wide receiver tiers last week. So if you guys didn't get a chance to catch that episode, I definitely recommend go back and listen to that so you guys know exactly what to do during draft time, especially when you have 45 seconds to about 2 minutes. I feel like that's usually like the standard time right for a pick, right, man? Or do you are you in drafts where you get a few more minutes than that? I, I'm usually in that, like, 90 seconds. Yeah, but. right, exactly. Like, 45 seconds, man. That's usually what my uh, what my uh, league mates like to do. So when when you're drafting in this kind of redraft league, it's always good to have those tiers, which is why we talked about that in the last wide receiver episode. And we're going to touch a little bit on that today as well when we talk about the tight end rankings. Um, so we got lined up today some more training camp and preseason news. We have tight end rankings, and our guys, the guys that both Matt and I love this year at the tight end position, and then we're going to give you our one player out of the whole draft that we feel are the riskiest players at their current ADP. But before we get to the riskiest player, we're going to go ahead and get into some news and noise. Matt, you want to kick us off here? Yeah. So since we talked last we were discussing the Texans and kind of what right. what was going to happen there. That was shot down quick. <laughs> yeah, I know. All of our predictions didn't age well at all. Duke Johnson is no longer a Brown to his like excitement, I guess, because he didn't want to be a Brown anymore anyways. Right. But So Duke Johnson is now a Texan, and what – Wait, where do we go from here? Is he just a third down back, or are we thinking that he's going to really steal some touches from Lamar? Um, I, I still think Lamar is probably a value where he's getting drafted, I believe, where it's somewhere in the seventh round. I think this hurts more so the receivers on the team. Uh, I, I, I know you, I know where you stand with Fuller. Uh, you're much higher on Fuller than I am. I take injuries as a big concern when I'm drafting. I try to stay away from those kind of players because – I hate using it as an excuse because I always tell people, you know, you can't use injury as an excuse, but it, it, it legitimately is when you're drafting. So I think it hurts QT the most as far as the fantasy implications of that offense. I definitely think it helps Watson. It gives him more of a, a sure thing on the short yardage plays. We saw how valuable he was in Cleveland, you know, especially the year that he that's what the RB 11, I think a full point PPR, which was surprising to everybody. We all know the talent was there with Duke Johnson, just not really the production wasn't there the first few years. So I don't think it really hurt Miller at all. Still be willing to draft him where he is. I still think he's going to be between the tackles and um, you know, he, he's, he's at the end of the day, Lamar Miller is becoming kind of like that Frank Gore person, right? The guy you don't want to draft, 
but when you end up drafting him, he's he's kind of just you know a plug and play every single week. It's just like it feels so gross to own him, but you know you're gonna like <laughs> throw him in your flex, and he's gonna get you like ten points a game. Right, he's not gonna he's never gonna hurt you, but he won't win you a matchup either. So so I while you were talking, I just pulled this up. Uh, Lamar Miller is currently going at the turn at the end of the fifth, beginning of the sixth. Okay, Duke even after this news, is still sitting in the 11th round, which I'm not sure where he was previous. So, so, right. actually, so I actually had that information up, which is pretty freaking impressive. So as of, as of August 5th, so this is basically, what, a week and a half ago. Right. August 5th, he was going at the 1401, and you just say he's going at the beginning of the 11th. So he jumped a whole three rounds within one week of the trade, which is – Ridiculous. And then maybe he shows some flashes, I, I guess, maybe in the preseason, if we even get to see him, and maybe that ADP rises. But I think the 11th round is not a bad spot for him because he could be a low-end uh, flex two, if that is even a term uh, in fantasy football. But even like that kind of like um, – Like he's hard, a bi-week flex spot. Yeah, like a bi-week flex spot. Like you're not going to really – he's not going to be a first option at the flex, but – if you, you know, you're struggling with some bye weeks there, you may want to throw him in. Or you just play the matchups. But also, like, if Miller does get hurt, I mean, Duke Johnson's got to have, what, money, high wide receiver two ups or running back with two upside. Mm-hmm. Like, he's yeah, just a better sure. runner. Uh, of a, he's like a better running version of James White. Yeah, and, and I, I'm not sure on their size, but just based off – the eye test, I think, believe he's a bigger back than uh, White as well. And the, I would say one thing, though. It, I feel like the Texans don't even like Lamar Miller. So <laughs> attention not like that for a while. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, I feel like drafting Duke Johnson in the 11th round is the ultimate, like, low-risk, high-reward because drafting someone in the 11th round that you ultimately and might end up dropping is never not going to hurt your team. You had 10 draft picks before. And that pick hurt your team, then that means every pick before also hurt your team. So I think drafting him in the 11th round, not only are you getting a guy that you could plug and play based off matchups, and specifically the bye weeks. I mean, let's not get overboard with the Duke Johnson trade. But then you're just one injury away or just one bad week away from Lamar Miller ultimately getting canned, and then Duke Johnson stepping in and taking a crazy bump in value. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you said, the perfect description is the low risk, high reward. And he's going right around the same time of like Matt Morita, Justin Jackson, and even Kiki Cootie. So like, you don't even yeah. know, like, cause they're basically could fill the role of each other if, <laughs> if they chose like, um, and we we'll probably get into Matt Morita in a little bit too. Um, right. And I feel like that's a good, actually a good, um, I'm going to ask you that actually, man, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Because I feel like once you said Justin Jackson, I felt like, ooh, like I feel like that's that's kind of where the line draws. Who would you rather prefer in that spot, Duke Johnson or, or Justin Jackson? And this is with the recent recent news of Melvin Gordon. Well, Justin Jackson, I think, is the guy I go after because, like, Eckler's a, a smaller guy who has seen some nicks and bruises. Right. Where Justin Jackson was ultimately a volume back in place of Melvin Gordon and did all right. Like, mm-hmm. and he's going into a, another year. I mean, if you just give him more opportunity, more confidence, like 
they like Justin Jackson's I think is like you were saying the perfect you know uh low risk high reward it's like him and Duke Johnson are basically the same player but I think we have higher upside with Justin Jackson getting you know early down work Uh, we'll move on here to another running back and we're just going to briefly mention this here because I'm on the east coast and uh, Matt, right before the podcast, has mentioned to me that he had no news, heard no news about Ty Montgomery, who is now the backup running back, or would you backup OW offensive weapon for the New York football Jets over here in New York City. Ty Montgomery, the only reason why I wanted to mention him, Matt, uh, and for our listeners, just in case they, you know, they, they're not around the buzz in New York City, like, you know, obviously I am. I know we had a listen to ESPN radio and Bob Rosuzian and Mike Tannenbaum, former GM of the Jets, were at Jets camp and they, you know, they were being interviewed by, uh, you know, some sports analysts on ESPN radio. And they basically said that Ty Montgomery is not just being used as the backup running back to Bell and that, you know, Bell's his work. And I didn't take anything away from that. Like I still view Bell as a Bell cow, uh, no pun intended. They were basically saying like Ty Montgomery was being used all over the field, like kind of like how he was in Green Bay. Like he was running out of the slot, he was running out wide, he was on the field at the same time as Le'Veon Bell. So I just wanted to briefly mention that because I think he should be on the radar some in some drafts when you're going in there and maybe it's your last pick and you may want to throw a dart at a guy who is going to be backing up a guy in Le'Veon Bell who we all know who has off the field issues before and has struggled with some injuries and hasn't played football in a year. I, I I guess to me, like, and I understand that you're there and you're in it um, and you hear more of it. Ty Montgomery just doesn't get me excited. Like, I would rather have Elijah McGuire, you know, than, than Ty Montgomery, I think, because Ty Montgomery is a converted wide receiver, which is just great, like, that you have that skill set. But Elijah McGuire is a running back, and we have no idea what to think of Gase in general. <laughs> I just think you have this thing against Gase, man. Just let it go. Terrible, terrible <laughs> coach. Like he's just riding like the Peyton Manning two or three good years that he had in Denver. Two and a half. Like it's whoever like finally just says like, okay, dude, what what can you actually do? Like Peyton had to have done the majority of your work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So next we have. I think this happened when we recorded last week. We just didn't really touch on it. But we got Theo Riddick signing with the Broncos. They yeah. already have the they already have their one two punch of Lindsay and Royce Freeman. I think this spells the end of Booker. <laughs> like uh, that was fun while it lasted, right? <laughs> Booker was given so many opportunities and he just couldn't do it. So Booker, he, he came and he 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 went faster than he came. Like he he was like the guy to own apparently for for the last like not not at least not last year, but the previous like two three years in Denver. Even when C.J. Anderson was there, he was clearly the better back. Right. Like it's just it's so weird that like he didn't do well after being like he was in that draft class, you know, with Jordan Howard and him at like. Him and Booker were looked at as some really good running backs in my college. And obviously, Howard has done much better. And, but we don't know. If, I, like, there's, there's that stat out there that only like Todd Gurley, and I can't remember who the other guy is, has run for like more yards in the last few seasons than he has. 
but so yeah it, theoretic it doesn't move the needle i think anything if they keep him then you have an excellent like high ceiling negative game script guy yeah but who has proven that he can be a basically a wide receiver in the backfield so so this hurts i, I would say at least this hurts Lindsay much more than does freeman right i mean yeah i would say it definitely hurts for, both of them now freeman was barely getting pass work as it was so obviously he's not going to get as much but i mean overall i think it definitely affects Lindsay more Yes, I would definitely probably, I would agree with you on that just because I think you're not going to, especially with injury, you know, you're coming back from the wrist. It's like, maybe we'll take your work down a little bit till we can get your wrist right. So we'll just put you in when, you know, you are going to be like first or second down maybe and alternate with Freeman. Next, we've got Jarek McKinnon. Apparently, it's going to be on IR in 2019 to start the season, which if he does, I mean, we all know what that means. That's eight weeks. That's half your season gone. Right. Right. And it, it, it finally brings another running back to the market for us, at least, especially if you're going no running back, if you like going no running back in your leagues. Well, and then it's like now when you look at that, and like I said, I, I felt like we were going to talk about Brita right here anyway. So Brita, what, he was going in the 10th round, the end of the 10th. And then we've got Tevin Coleman going in the middle of the fifth. Are you taking like the cheaper one, just Breda, and ride that out? Or are you going to pay up for Coleman when he's going around, you know, AJ Green, Lockett, and Boyd? Yeah, I don't know if I could pay that price for Coleman because. And I'll be completely honest now. I've been doing a few mock drafts the last few days. And the only reason why I've been doing I don't, I don't like to do mock drafts on to a certain extent. I like to do maybe one or two uh, per league, you know, based off where I'm picking. And I'll take notes. Like, okay, I took, um, you know, hypothetically speaking, I took Le'Veon Bell, right? Uh, no, I took A.J. Green. But at the same time of this pick, and I'll write down, fifth round, took A.J. Green. Other players available, and I put Coleman by week. I'll put lock it by a week that way i can revert back to that when the draft day does come so i have notes and have an idea of what's going to be there based off a lot of the drafts that i've done i've i've been taking a lot of aj green shares and I'm, i don't want to try to bring it to aj green right now it's just that looking at where he's going i can sacrifice the first two weeks and take a fifth or sixth round pick on aj green because my first four picks are most likely going to hold should be able to um i'm drafting them with the confidence that they'll hold things down until AJ Green does come back. And guess what? He's going to end up being my flex. I'll find the flex those first two weeks. So to pay that price for Tevin Coleman, I don't know, but I do find him a lot more intriguing now. If McKinnon hits IR, because eight weeks without him, you know, hovering your back. And then you add to the fact that McKinnon, I mean, that Coleman is, you know, has that ties with Shanahan going back to, to Atlanta days. And, you know, if he, you know, puts his, you know, his foot on the pedal and goes forward and thrives in the offense, why would you even mess up a good thing when McKinnon does come back? You know, I still think Coleman will be the guy. Now it's different if Coleman is struggling, obviously, but you know that you can't. That's you can't predict that. You know, you only could mm-hmm. hope that he's going to be what we all expect him to be, what he was in Atlanta with now Shanahan and San Fran. 
Well, and like, does this worry you at all that maybe the like clearing of the of the mud, I guess, uh, that this is going to pigeonhole Coleman into that same role that he wasn't in Atlanta? But if he's in the same role, is that, is that necessarily a bad thing? I mean, it's not at a fifth round price. You're right. You're right. And yeah, you're 100% right. Not at the fifth round price. But if you get him for those eight weeks and then reverse back to that goal, damage is already done. You could probably be at a 6 and 2 record because of what he was producing. And like I said, if he is producing, why mess up a good thing? Like, I, I don't think Shanahan, Shanahan is on the hot seat right now. And we're going to get into it with our, with our next player that we're going to discuss. <laughs> you know, like, he, he's in the hot seat right now. Like, he needs – they need to win some games. You know, there's, there's no more excuses. There's no more Jimmy G is hurt. No, you got the pieces. You got legitimately probably the second-best tight end in football. He's not going to mess this opportunity up. If Coleman is doing his thing, I think Coleman gets the opportunity. I still think he gets spelled. That's why I said regardless if McKinnon comes back – He'll, he could still be the guy. He'll, he'll get spelled. That's without a doubt. Coleman has never proven to be an every down back. We saw last year. That's why. What's his face from Atlanta? That's, that's, who's his backup now over there? Edo Smith. Edo Smith emerged <laughs> because Coleman proven that he couldn't be the every down back or at least on a consistent basis. So, okay. But ultimately, fifth round price. To answer your question, Matt, fifth round price is too rich for me to pay. I'd rather go ahead and get me a guy who's going to play, um, you know, and at a another position, I'd rather grab a receiver right there and not pay up for a price on a running back that ultimately may struggle, mm-hmm. even with McKinnon on the IR to start the season. Definitely. So we have to mention this, Matt. And I know this was your ex boy. You know he was supposed to be, you know, the heir to the throne when TB12 was gonna retire. Unfortunately, Tom Brady um, decided to juice up a bit, and <laughs> he, oh. found, he decided to find the fountain of youth and decided, you know what, Belichick, Kraft, I have about 10 more years left. I'm going to play until I'm about like 48 years old, so just get rid of Jimmy G now because he's going to end up walking. And hey, I'm sorry that Eli couldn't find the right well. Oh, don't worry. He'll find it this year. He'll find it this year. <laughs> Um, so uh, Jimmy G, and the only reason why we want to mention this, like I said, I was just, just trying to troll uh, Matt here, but I, th- I think it's important to talk about, about it for at least 30, 45 seconds here. But apparently in practice day, Jimmy G threw five interceptions. But not consecutively. practice, consecutively. Consecutively, which is, I mean, that's, that's I'm sorry to say that's worth, worse than what Nathan. Peter, Nathan Peterman did in his game in his, in his first start. I think there was like sacks between interceptions in that <laughs> one. Exactly. So it technically wasn't consecutively. <laughs> well, and so like I put it out there earlier that you know Jimmy G has gone from the successor, like you were saying, to basically if you read the full tweet of the report, was five consecutive passes that were intercepted, followed by a touchdown. So to right. all that says to me is that is Ryan Fitzpatrick in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick will lose you games and then throw bombs to try to get you back in games. <laughs> right, right. It's so – that's all I could think of. He's never really been a great practice player, even from, like, remembering him practicing and training camps and stuff. His preseasons were never pretty. 
and then right. he shows up to ball out against Arizona and Miami. Like right. it's just like some people don't practice how they play. Right, and I think it's safe to say that he was really never on our radar to begin with going into draft. So uh, not not really. Yeah, so uh, we'll move on here to something that's a little bit more exciting because, of course, it involves another running back backfield. So apparently Drake was cited um, at the – I believe it was the the joint practice between Miami and Tampa, if I'm not mistaken. And Drake was seen in a walking boot, with, uh, which allowed Kalen Balazs to practice with the ones. And I'm not a Balazs shooter. Uh, I will not be drafting him above his ADP. I'll, I mean, maybe a round or so, but I don't really consider drafting someone around above their ADP that late in drafts really jumping. But Balazs look good. And I know we passed on him and Scott Fishball, Matt, but what are your thoughts about this? Because I know me and you both really like Drake going into this year. He, to me, is like – from everything I've read, and obviously we don't know the extent of the injury because it happened today. We know he's in a boot, and we've heard a while. Like, he could be out a while. And so nobody knows what that means. Like, we had more optimistic thinking when A.J. Green came down. <laughs> right, he came out with a boot, and we were like, oh, he'll be fine. It's just a high ache. Lo and behold, he got to have surgery. Yeah. And so a lot of struggles in the passing game, which to me says – a team like Miami, who is going to be most likely negative game script, like a majority of their games this season, a guy who can't catch the ball, I'm not drafting if you are in a bad team. Because if, right, you right. if you can't be on the field when you're getting blown out, you have no reason to be on a roster. Yep. And it's, it's concerning because I don't – I think Miami – it's probably going to have the worst team next year in the sense of at least a win-loss situation. You know, maybe the Giants could be as worse, you know. Um, but, I mean, like, on a, as, as, par, as far as, like, wins and losses, that'll probably be the worst. And then I think they want to be the worst because they need a quarterback. And so um, they're tanking for Tua for sure. Uh, we'll go ahead and go into our last two pieces of news here. Uh, I just want to quickly mention that for those of you listening out there, please be on the lookout for Darius, guys. His ADP is ridiculously high right now. It's the highest amongst all running backs in that backfield. And the dude hasn't even been cleared to practice yet. And he's recovering from the ACL. And rightfully so. And, Matt, I told you this. I believe I told you this before. We had a discussion. I don't know if it was off air or one of, or one of the episodes. What's the one muscle that needs to be very, very strong when you're recovering from an ACL injury? your hamstring, isn't it? Your hamstring. And now he's having problems with his hamstring. This is trouble because this can linger. What happened with Dalvin Cook last year? This is exactly what happened with Dalvin Cook last year. And I'm sorry, but we didn't see guys play last year to think he's even on that Cook level. So just be on the lookout. You know, I, I'm avoiding him in all drafts. I see guys on the board and I'm just like, no, I'm good. Like, I cannot see myself, even if he ends up playing like the last game of the preseason, I can't see myself drafting him unless it's at a price where he's like my RB4 or something like that. Like, I just can't see myself drafting guys next year. 
I just stay away from the Redskins in general. That yeah, seems the best I, I, right now. Like I think that's that's one that's a smart thing to do. <laughs> it's a very smart thing to do. Well, like it, you know, the like because of the running back position, offensive line matters. And if your best offensive lineman isn't going to come play, nope. That running back situation is gonna look way worse. It's gonna look very similar to what we felt like the Seahawks were, you know, like a, just a mess, not being able to get anything going. Like, they, luckily they have Russell Wilson, but I yep. think we're looking at something very similar to that. Yeah, that that team is just they're just taking steps the wrong way. <laughs> they really are. Uh, we'll move on to our last piece of news here, and the only reason why I wanted to add this on was because one of our listeners and one of our good followers and one of our Friends, I, I, one of our Twitter, Twitter friends, I would say, uh, Paul, hit us up on Twitter um, at Football Foe asking us because we posted up our wide receiver rankings earlier today. And he asked us, hey, do you guys project T.Y. Hilton to fall based off the luck injury? And initial answer, I would say, yes, obviously. But we don't know. We still don't know the extent of the injury with luck. Uh, apparently, it's, a, it's considered a high ankle sprain. Um, there was a report that like three percent of people in the world are born with like this extra bone behind their heel, and unfortunately enough, Andrew Luck is one of those people, so it's causing him to have problems. But they don't expect it to miss game week one of the season. I think the only thing that's moving for me is Luck in my quarterback rankings. If I'm being completely honest, I I can't move. T.Y. Hunting just yet because apparently he's having the best camp that he's ever had and he's been their best player. And that's with Brissett throwing him the ball. Um, maybe Mac drops a touch because, you know, the boxes will be stacked a little bit more. But uh, aside from luck dropping in my rankings, I, I, I don't know how to view this, Matt. I think that's all you can do. I mean, I've seen 50-year-old people recover faster than luck. It's just... It's <laughs> like, um, but we have seen, luckily, we've seen T.Y. Hilton with Brissett before. And it wasn't, I, would, I wouldn't say he was the worst thing. He was a wide receiver too. Right. And, but he wasn't like as consistent as we want, but he still put up those big plays. Exactly. Because Brissett has an arm. Yeah. So to answer um, your question, Paul, if luck does, if news does come out that he is going to miss them, then yes, absolutely. But if we're sitting here, you know, one week away from from kickoff in week one, and luck is still considered to play week one, I think what do you expect anybody to do, really? I mean, you know, drafts are already done at that point. You know, you, right. if, I draft, if I had a draft tomorrow, I'm going to draft T.Y. Houghton where I have him ranked right now because that's the information that we're given. So, anyways, we're going to go ahead. I move on here to talk about some tight ends. And we're not going to go through our rankings individually because then we'll be here all night. So we're just going to go ahead and give you our consensus. And then we'll go ahead and jump around back and forth, talk about why we have some guys where and how me and Matt are different on some players or higher and lower on other players than, than each other. <laughs> and then we're going to give you two guys, two tight ends that we both love going into next year. So here's our consensus. Matt, you want to do the, do the honors? All right. The only one that you can have at number one, Travis Kelsey. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> he, I mean, 
I would say he's basically in a tier by himself, just based off of who his quarterback is. In the words of Mr. T, if you don't have Kelsey at number one, you a fool. <laughs> and then this one just is how it worked out. How it worked out, yes. I, people, please don't attack us. <laughs> we were talking about this before, like, should we just manually move this around? But <laughs> number two, it's Evan Ingram. <laughs> My Giants, baby, we coming back this year. <laughs> um, and then we have basically we have three, three, yeah, three A and three B is basically Kittle and Ertz. Kittle and Ertz, you just you can mix and match either one of those. OJ Howard. Uh, this was another next one was another one we kind of talked about is in the rankings it worked out that it was Jared Cook, and then it's Vance McDonald. And then Austin Hooper at eight. Making an appearance in the top ten. Hunter Henry at nine. David Njoku. This might be a lot really low for some people. But I think 10. it's a perfect spot. I think it's a good spot for him. <laughs> then we got Mark Andrews at eleven. Trey Burton at twelve. Mike Gasecki at thirteen. Ooh. Tyler Eifert at fourteen. And to end the top fifteen, we have Eric Ebron. Oh, I don't know. We might get killed for that one, man. But you know what? <laughs> I mean, we got some heat to back this up, though. So let's go ahead and just quickly dive into some of our differences here. So for our listeners, we both had Ingram at three. It just so happened to be that the consensus, we had to put him at two for this reason and this reason only. I had Kittle at two, and I had Ertz at four. Matt had Ertz at two and had Kittle at four. We both had Ingram at three, and because we both had him at the same spot, and Ingram was basically higher than one and lower than one in both of our rankings, we had to put him at two just because of that. And then Kittle Urge, that's what we said at 3A and 3B. But like Matt said, we were talking about this before the episode. And, um, you know, you know, obviously we're, we're mid-August right now, you know, and we still got two weeks. You know, we're, we're on the cusp of the second week of preseason. But, you know, we're about two weeks away from the start of the season. And, Matt, I have to say, I'm really, really itching to put Vance McDonald at that five spot right there and jump O.J. Howard just one spot below. And it has to do for two reasons. One, I've never seen Bruce Arians utilize a tight end position where he's fantasy relevant. And then one thing that I see when I look at Vance McDonald a lot of people don't know this, but he was the third leader in targets for the Steelers last year behind Antonio Brown, who had 168, and Juju, who had 166. Vance McDonald has 72 targets last year, and there's 168 targets up for grabs, plus the 39 that went out the door with Jesse I think it's safe to say that Vance McDonald could see anywhere from 100 targets from what he did last year. Okay, now you're starting crazy. There's no way he's touching 100. It's, it's very – I mean, do you see 168 targets? Even if you give – all he needs is 29 more targets from that 168. There's no way Moncrief and James Washington are seeing 168 targets combined. But you look. You would be looking at like Juju leading with a, in the one sixties, and then 
basically having a three-way tie of about 80 in that range, which I could totally see a three-way tie of 80 targets between Washington, Moncrief, and McDonald. Right, and I don't know any other tight ends on 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 the on the depth chart right now. I mean, maybe Jalen Samuels goes back to that position and plays it a little bit, but I easily see Vance McDonald flirting with a hundred targets next year, and that to me that only can bump his receptions up from fifty to whatever it may be, six hundred and ten yards to whatever it may be, and being that how he's probably the sole tight end, those two touchdowns that. Jesse James caught last year, they could be McDonald's and which will bump them up from four to six. So I just feel like OJ Howard wasn't anything until last year. I mean, his rookie year was very underwhelming. They still got Cameron Bray, and we never seen Arians really produce a tight end for fantasy relevancy. So it's just my thought on that. And I just feel like Vance McDonald proved last year that he can be a viable option, not only in real life for Big Ben but for fantasy football as well. Yeah. Like, um, I, I'm really excited to see Vance McDonald. I'm with you. I just don't – I look at, like, the upside of Howard because he's in an offense that just likes to push the ball. Right. But let's but, then, see. but you also have to look at the price too. So it's – they're basically about a, a two rounds apart. So O.J. Howard's going at 508. And McDonald's is going. <laughs> McDonald is going at seven oh nine. So you could potentially get a guy who could finish at worst the same as what OJ Howard was for two rounds later, which is an absolute value. Oh, well, in, in contextually, sure. that's a great. That's a right, great value. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, other than that, it felt like we were all really just like like flip flopping guys. Here and there, I think, like, maybe Andrews. Mark Andrews was the next one. And it's because there's a lot of hype coming out of Baltimore. Yeah, I'm buying into it. Unfortunately, I'm buying into it for sure. You had him at 10. I had him at 12. But – and I can see why you would – because I have Njoku higher. You Then Andrews, that's basically the swap there. Um, Njoku, there's just a lot of – options there also what we've heard from camp is it hasn't been super promising as they want him to really focus on his blocking yep so it's like because they need to block for baker to give him more time to get the ball to obj (laughs) so so for fantasy purposes you don't get points for pancaking alignment or anything (laughs) um so that that could probably knock him down i andrews i'm willing to like give it him a try but because at this point, when you're hitting that like double-digit ranked tight ends, you're kind of like, oh, hope this one works. <laughs> exactly. And, and not to foreshadow too much, but we're definitely going to talk about Andrews a little bit more later on into the episode. But before we get into Andrews, Matt, I need to know, you know, every year there's, you know, we have these tight ends, right? So we, we, we agree that Kelsey is in a tier of his own. And then I think we can agree that Kittle, Ertz, and Ingram are in that next tier. Maybe some people would throw Howard in there. Maybe some people just take out Ingram and put Ingram and Howard into their own tier, which I've seen plenty of that, you know, with other, you know, analysts, fan, uh, fantasy football analysts out there. Based off all these tight ends, now we've, we've ranked up to 30. 
Uh, we've only gave you all consensus 15. So the reason why I mentioned that, because some of our guys mentioned may not have been mentioned in the top 15. But give me one of your tight end guys that you are absolutely loving them for the next year. They may not end up being a top three tight end, but they may end up being a value in drafts and ultimately help you win games and win leagues next year. So my top tight end guy, like my guy for this year is Austin Hooper of the Atlanta Falcons. Awesome. And I have to just go kind of go back in time about seven years <laughs> to back <laughs> when Dirk Cutter was the offensive coordinator. And I mean, he was there till like 2014, but his last really good year because of Tony Gonzalez. That's a huge, those are huge shoes to fill for Hooper in a Dirk Cutter mind. But we had Gonzalez towards the end of his career. Uh-huh. And he was the tight end three <laughs> that year. Also, Dirk Cutter had Julio Jones, who was young, and Roddy White, who was in the prime of his career, also finished wide receiver nine and ten, respectively. That is three pass catchers in the top ten of their position. Austin Hooper has the sky's the limit for him this year. And we've seen Dirk Cutter make tight ends kind of relevant. He made Cameron Bright look good for a few games. He had OJ Howard <laughs> and made him like he actually got Fitzpatrick to throw to his tight end. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a feat in itself. So I just feel like you should be able to get in the 12th round a potential top three to five producing tight end in Austin Hooper. I don't know how you feel about it, but, and I was talking with somebody else a while back. can't remember who top of my head, but athletically Tony Gonzalez and Austin Hooper aren't that far apart. So it's, if anybody tries to say, well, it's like, well, it's Gonzalez. Right. Right. Built so similarly. And they have, you know, the, same, you know, shuttles, 40s, like they are built so similarly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, but. I couldn't agree with you more because, first of all, I want to say this. I actually have Hooper ranked at eight and you have him ranked at nine. So I think that speaks for itself right there. Um, I, when it comes to someone like Austin Hooper, you see what he did last year and you saw the play, you know, you saw the post across the middle where he caught it and he had like a Vance McDonald type of stiff arm to run into the touchdown. We, we've seen those kind of plays from Austin Hooper before. What it comes down to it for him is the amount of target shares he's going to receive because there's three receivers in that offense that can easily outplay him, outscore him, outtouch him, and definitely be on the field a lot more than he can. It comes down to that because with Calvin Ridley taking his next step in his in year two, we know Julio's going to do Julio things. He's going to get his freaking 500 targets on the year, okay? Joking. He's going to get 170-ish, 160-ish. We know that. Um, I believe Sanu had 96 and then Ridley had like 94. They were basically back-to-back. It really comes down to that. Where is Matt Ryan going to share the ball to? But like you said, when you start getting into this tier of tight ends, you, it's kind of like a dart, not really a dart throw, but 
Dober is going to be a third throw, but he's going to be a third throw that is going to have a very, very high ceiling and a very minimal floor. You know, his floor is not necessarily high, but it's not necessarily low either. So definitely love me some Austin Hooper going into next year. And, you know, I don't think you're going to pay a high price for him either. Based off his ADP from Fantasy Football Calculator, he's going at the 12-6. So you're getting a guy who not only does full football fanalists have him ranked as a consensus eight tight end, but you're getting him in the 12th round. In the 12th round, you're getting the eighth best tight end? When dudes is taking tight ends in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round? I mean... I, I love Austin Hooper as much as you do, Matt, for sure. Well, and he had 88 targets on the season last year. So yep. that could go up or could regret or could stay the same. I don't see him falling too short of that. Yeah, um, me either. Me either. He did, he, in half point PPR, he finished as the tight end six last year, only averaging eight points a game. So, I mean, that tells you the drop off in a tight end position. As well. <laughs> right. Because eight points a game is like a little. But That's for tight ends, top all, 12. But, right. And so I could see him averaging, you know, like almost 12 a game in a dirt cutter offense. So who so, do you have as your tight end? So I actually have two. I brought two to the table today. One, because unfortunately, he, <laughs> we're going to get a lot of bash for having him as our number two tight end. But I don't care because he's my tight end. He is my this, he is the starting tight end for the football New York Giants. And that is Evan Ingram. And I'm going to start off with the one thing that everybody in the world knows. Okay. In the four games last year that Ingram played, which was weeks 4, 15, 16, and 17 without OBJ, because the last game that OBJ played as a Giant was week 13 against the Bears. In those four games that Ingram played, coming back from a two-week injury, he was the tight end two in all of fantasy football. And that was for full-point PPR. Okay, we're a half-point PPR. So he was the tight end 26 in the first 12 games of the season. And that's while missing five games and only basically playing six and a half games because he played week one, didn't do well. He played week two. He ends up getting hurt. I believe it was... It was either towards the ending of the first quarter or the beginning of the second quarter. And then, you know, you look back at what he did in 2017 when he was a tight end five, but was a tight end four in points per game basis. He was able to build that connection with Eli Manning and not only build that connection, but do something that has never been done before in rookie tight end history, which was produced the best tight end rookie season of all time as, as a tight end. So when I look at someone like Ingram, people say, okay, look at his rookie season, right? And I'm going to ask you this question, Matt. Look at his rookie season. Amazing. Not amazing, but, but great, great, which is why he has so much hype going into year two. Year two, would you say it was disappointing? It's probably actually closer to average. I think he just outperformed his rookie season. Okay. And his I don't know if that's what you were going off of. But I was, I was. I it's per- perfect. You said it up perfectly, Okay. His rookie season, he had a 55.7% catch rate. He increased that to 70.1% catch rate in his year two. In year one, he created a separation worth 2.2 yards. In his second year, he created a separation at 4.4 yards. Okay? It's easy to look at his second year and think that he naturally regressed. 
right? Or like you said, they maybe he outplayed his rookie year. Okay, two major factors though in year two. OBJ was there for the majority of his games, and then Ingram was actually hurt for, like I said, six and a half, five and a half games, however you want to look at it. Okay, mm-hmm. in 2017, Ingram averaged 4.3 receptions a game for 48 yards a game, but in 2018. His regression, his quote-unquote regression year, he averaged 4.1 receptions, so not not really a difference, for 52.5 yards a game. Okay, And then the last thing, I want to go back to those final four games without OBJ. In those four games without OBJ, Ingram had a whopping, a whopping 31 targets, where he had 64 targets all season. In those last four games, he received 48% of his targets that he received throughout the whole season. The whole season. 48%, basically 50% of his targets on the whole season came within those last four games where OBJ wasn't there. You know how I feel about Tate already. He's already missing the first four games of the season. I don't view him as a threat for OB, for for Ingram. If anything, I think it's actually going to help Ingram, which is why I said with taking on those first four games, it's going to hurt both Ingram and Barkley more so than anybody else. So Ingram is my guy going into next year. Guys like OJ Howard, Eric Ebron are getting drafted ahead of him. And I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll sit here and say I am willing to draft this guy at the back, at, back end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth round, which is basically a whole round of where he's going just to get my hands on the guy that me and Matt and the whole football finalist team think is the consensus number two tight end for next year. I can get behind it. <laughs> Bit of a good argument. <laughs> it's my guy, man. I mean, I'm telling you, uh, you we, we saw it with his rookie year when OBJ was there, and then we saw it towards the end of the last season. I just – and then you hear the news that he's like – he looks – he looks so yeah. dominant that he looks explosive and better than what he ever was before. And that just that just adds more, you know, salt to the pot right there, man. That's just adding some more heat to it, man. Like, let's cook it up already. Let's get it served. Let's, let's get it out on the field. Let's, let's draft him and let's put him in our lineup and be like, you know what? Yeah, I look like a fool for taking him before all these other tight ends that outperformed last year. But wait till you see what he's going to do when he hits the field. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And then really quickly, the last guy that's quote-unquote my guy is Mark Andrews. And um, it's, it's more so of the, the connection that both him and Lamar Jackson have. Um, Lamar Jackson, I believe, took the starting spot. Uh, they say week 10, but that was their bye week, so technically week 11. And you know, ever since Lamar Jackson came onto the scene, Andrews was a whole nother different type of tight end than what he was those first few weeks. He averaged 21.2 yards per reception when Lamar Jackson was at quarterback. And despite only playing 35% of the snaps last year, I fully expect that number to increase, specifically because Hayden Hurst hasn't proved anything yet. Specifically as a rookie, he's having troubles this offseason blocking and staying healthy from reports out of Baltimore. So you think Mark Andrews is definitely going to be the guy as far as the tight end position on that team. And then just looking around their offense, you had two guys in John Brown and Crabtree leave last year, which, you know, that's 197 targets that are on the table. And, Matt, I don't usually do this. I don't like to do projections as far as statistics. 
Um, I, I, I do it on a base to base on a, on a case to case basis, but I went ahead and, and, and did some projections for what I feel like Andrews could have. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have him for 56 receptions next year, 620 yards and six touchdowns and half point PPR. That's good enough for 126 points. Based off where tight ends finished last year, 126 points would have put him at the tight end six. And I don't even think the numbers that I projected for him are even anything crazy. He's only catching, that's basically three and a half receptions a game and about 48 yards a game. It's it's nothing crazy. It's really nothing crazy. And that's what I project for him. And based off what people scored last year for the tight end position, that would put him best. That would put him around the six or seven best tight end for fantasy. So that's just another one of my guys who I'm targeting in drafts. I know you and I both actually really wanted him in, well, maybe more so me than you, um, really wanted him in Scott Fishball. Unfortunately, we weren't able to grab him because he got drafted pretty high. And if you look in the fantasy community, if you saw in Scott Fishball where he was being drafted, there was leagues that would, there was divisions and leagues that would draft him like in the seventh and eighth round. And you and I discussed like, oh, damn, like, you know, he got drafted in the 11th round in our league, but he was getting drafted like in the eighth round in other leagues. And we were like, oh, damn, like we definitely weren't going to pay that price if we had to pay that for him. But definitely one of the guys I'm looking forward to at the time position for next year. Yeah, definitely. All right. Now, before we close out this episode, we wanted to add a special piece. It's kind of like a price check. Based on the player, Justin, who do you think poses the most risk Ooh. current ADP. Ooh, I'm on a roll right now, man. And oh, I feel like I've been talking forever, but you know what? I'll, I'll go ahead and make this one quick. And I'm sticking with the brand. I'm sticking <laughs> with, the main, with the main topic and the main discussion of the episode. And the riskiest player, in my opinion, at their current ADP based on fantasy football calculator is none other then a tight end that finished number four last year. The tight end that everybody had hyped up for years while he was in Detroit. That's Mr. Eric Ebron. Okay. He is currently the tight end seven off the board going around uh, going around the 706 in drafts. His ADP actually has dropped half a round within the last month. So that goes to tell you that a lot of people in the fantasy community probably feel the same way. I want to start off with the obvious, of course. I am a Mac truther, okay? Marlon Mack is my guy when it comes to the running back position. Mac could tell you that. Anybody who's podcasted with me before or has read fantasy tweets of mine before can tell you that. I've been hyping up Mac going back since last year. I was on that Mac train way before everybody else. I think that he's going to get a lot more touches in the red zone next year, depending on his health, of course. The Colts go ahead and add Devin Funches, who is basically a tight end playing wide receiver, played tight end in college at Michigan, so goes without saying. Then you go ahead and they waste high draft capital on Paris Campbell. Then, not only that, but finally, Jack Doyle is healthy and recovering from the two surgeries that he had last year with the hip and I believe the kidney surgery, so I believe him to be fully healthy. And the one thing that I saw that really, really struck me, and I didn't know this until actually recently when I started doing some research for the episode, when both Doyle and Ebron were both healthy, not only did Doyle out-snap Ebron, but he also out-targeted Ebron. 
So he was actually the preferred tight end in specific sets, specific situations, and the specific tight end that Luck wanted to target when both of them were healthy. So, I mean, I don't know about you, Matt, but seeing 14 touchdowns for Ebron, yes, that was that definitely probably won you some leagues last year. But dude scored 11 touchdowns in his previous four seasons before. I don't expect anything close to the 14 touchdowns that he scored last year. Hell, he'll be lucky if he if he even produces the same numbers that he did last year with 66 catches and 750 yards, which, don't get me wrong, is very, very impressive. So for someone to say that Ebron was touchdown reliant last year, it's I wouldn't say it's an ignorant statement, but you really didn't know what else he did because he, he was very – he was very good elsewise. I mean, he had 66 catches for 750 yards. That's very good. I just don't expect Ebron to produce anything close to any every single one of those stats. I don't, don't think he's going to have 66 catches. Don't think he's going to have 750 yards. Hell no, he ain't having 14 touchdowns again. So as long as Jack Doyle is healthy, I think paying a seventh-round price for a tight end who's probably going to finish outside the top 12 is not worth the commission that you're going to be getting out of him. Yeah, like we've talked about this before. I mean, off the off air and just kind of talk about Ebron. And I don't think either of us really thought that he was going to repeat anything close to what he did last year. Right. And you, uh, want, you, you want to know what helped my confidence to make this argument even better? Hmm. I do. We, we do our ranking separately and then we put it on the sheet before the podcast because we try to make it as unbiased as possible, which is why I texted you and said, oh my God, this is so funny. Kittle, Ingram, and Ertz all have an average ranking of three. What the hell are we supposed to do? <laughs> which is exactly why I texted you that because I was shocked. Like when I put my rankings and I saw that, I was like, what the hell? You have Ebron at 17, which is a lot low. I have Ebron at 14, so it's not like I'm that high. You have Ebron at 17, and then right after him, you have Doyle at 18. And when I saw that, I was like, you know what? My man Matt is right behind me on this if I take this take right now because obviously he sees something that I must be seeing as well. Right. And I, like I did, I saw the stat about, you know, the split of him with and without Doyle. Like right. that, that should have just made everybody run away. Um, but I got I to gotta know, Matt, who, who's your riskiest player at ADP? I see you got two players on the sheet here and I want to hear your case for both. All right. So these are both very popular. And I love, players. and I actually love, your first one because I actually love him in general in drafts and I'm willing to pay the price, but I'm going to be completely honest right now. I know that it's very, very risky. Well, yeah. Like rookie running backs this year, yeah, like, at yeah. the end of the third round, you got David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs going back to back at the end of mm-hmm. the third. And I don't think that you can without, unless you're like with, if you're going three running backs in a row, that's the only way I could see this actually making sense for you. And uh-huh. even then it doesn't make sense because you shouldn't. Um, but David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs are currently going ahead of guys like Chris Carson, Derek Henry, who people are loving again this year, just only to be let down. <laughs> Mark Ingram. And, even a full round behind him, we have Philip Lindsay and Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle, that, that by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt. That number has to jump up because he's looked nothing. There's been nothing but good things that come out of the camp for him so far. As soon as he got on the field, he his value will jump in the next right. couple of weeks right. when drafts are happening. But like Sony Michelle is lining up as a receiver now, which should 
freak people out mm-hmm. because for both good and bad reasons, A, more opportunity for the knee issues, B, more upside. Like, I mean, but I, I can't in good faith, especially after hearing all the good things people have been saying about Chris Carson and how we, what we've seen from Philip Lindsay and Sony Michelle taking David Montgomery or Josh Jacobs ahead of him. If anything, this is just hype getting out of, out of hand. Right. But, and those are just the running backs he's going ahead of. In white, for wide receivers, he's going ahead of Stephon Diggs, Julian Edelman, Robert Wood, like all of the Rams, Godwin and Galladay, AJ Green. Like, these are a full round and a half ahead of those players. Like, I don't see the value in taking, and I know that running backs can transition to the pro game easier than other positions, but I still don't see them lasting 16 workhorse weeks on their when they're used to playing 10 maybe 11 games right and jacobs actually doesn't even have a large sample size i don't even think he had more than 200 carries in his career at alabama no damian harris was the i mean jacobs was probably more efficient but damian he was definitely harris, the better back he was, though. He was definitely back. the better back yeah <laughs> yeah if, if if hypothetically speaking if you're at that 312 or let's say 401, whatever they get in drafted, right? And you had to pick between one of the two because that's what it's going to come down to. You either draft them both if you really want them or you're deciding between one or the other. Which one are you, are you, are you nabbing right there? Uh, if I have to, I'd probably go Montgomery just because I feel like Gruden's going to pass the ball more than he's going to run the ball. Right. And you know what's funny? I actually like Jacobs a lot next year. And maybe things will change as I watch Harnox because for some reason Harnox sways my opinion. Last year I predicted that Miles Garrett was going to win the defensive player of the year after I watched Harnox. Uh, I think he made a good case for it, but he wasn't really close to winning that award. So maybe this year, you know, it sways me to like Jacobs a lot more. But but you, I, I'm right there with you, Matt. To pay a third-round price for – or at least a – is second tier running back in Montgomery. And I, by second tier, I don't really mean tier, but like second go-to back because that Bears offense was so fluid last year when Cohen specifically was on the field. It's going to be hard to get Montgomery burned, but he looks so good in the offseason. And then Jacobs, of course, I mean, he was a first-round draft pick. So you know that, you know, Gruden and the Raiders are going to feature him a lot, but how many games are gonna are they really gonna be up it? You know, how many times are they gonna have to game script him out? I know he could catch the ball, of course, but you know that's you know that's a situation that you're gonna be worried about. Who's who's gonna be winning more games at the end of the season, Bears right. or the Raiders? You know, so yeah. I, I I'm with you there. I I'll probably still take Jacobs. At the end of the day, I I, I think you're right. I think both are too rich of a price to pay. Right, and I was valuing that or evaluating it based on basically who was going around them. Like, who would I rather have? Like, I would rather have Stephon Diggs or Julian Edelman on my team than one of those rookie running backs. For sure, for sure. And if you can somehow land Michelle in the next round, like, what the hell? Like, absolutely. Give me that that trade-off any day. Because after Diggs and Edelman, at least on your tier, not in my tier because I have Edelman the tier after, but nonetheless, based off your rankings – you had Diggs and Edelman at the ending of that second of that third tier, right? So yeah. 
you can potentially get a, t- a receiver in that third tier in that 12 to 15 range as opposed to getting a running back in that 20 range. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all about smart drafting. And at that situation, if you're taking one of those running backs, you're basically banking on one of them finishing within the top 15 next year. Exactly. All right. Well, that would do it for this episode. We gave you guys a little bit of the news and noise from the preseason, from the NFL preseason around the league. We gave you guys our tight end rankings, 1 through 15, and we gave you our guys, the tight ends that we love for next year, as well as giving you our riskiest picks at their current ADP based off fantasy football calculator. That would do it for this episode of the Full Football Fanless Podcast. I am one of your two co-hosts, Justin Quarterquart Skywalker Palizzi. You can follow me on Twitter at Palizzi21 underscore. That's P-O-L-I-Z-Z-I-21 underscore. I am Matt Kegler. You can follow me on Twitter at Kegler Matt. That's K-O-E-G-L-E-R Matt. Thanks for tuning in. We have a special episode dropping next week because we're going to record early because we know that next weekend is going to be draft-heavy weekend. So be on the lookout for that one. And then don't forget to follow us on the Faux Football Fanless Twitter page. And that's at Football Faux. And then subscribe on SoundCloud, Google, the iTunes. Find us pretty much anywhere you find a podcast. Absolutely. Till next time. We are out. Later. Peace.